0: Living below in this so sinful world Hardly a comfort can afford Striving long to face temptation sore Where could I go but to the Lord? Where Where could I go, where could I go? Seeking a refuge for my soul Friend, to help me in the end. Where could I go but to the Lord? Neighbors are kind, I love them every one. We get along in sweet accord. But when my soul needs manna from above, where? way when- To help me in the end. Where could I go back to the Lord? Where could I go back to the Lord?
1: We started a little series taught on end time events last Sunday. And um, it really began because the Lord placed the word urgent on my heart. Urgent, urgent. And uh, interesting word, whenever we speak the word urgent, it's interesting what happens. Because when someone says something is urgent, we have to make a decision. We have to think about that item that the person is saying urgent, and we have to decide, is it really urgent for me? Maybe urgent for you, (laughs) but is it urgent for me? So urgency is something that is an interesting word in the lives of people. Not everything in life is urgent. Let's just know that. Not everything is critical. Not everything is in that urgent category. So it's important that we classify the priorities of life properly um, so we declare what is urgent and what is not because if everything's urgent, then really nothing's urgent. <laughs> if everything becomes urgent, then we can't do anything. We get ourselves caught up in this cycle of running in circles. And so it's with great concern that I even say the word because I don't want to call Wolf. I don't want to be guilty of uh, being that little boy in the shepherd field out there calling Wolf, Wolf every time and the people would come running and uh, there would be no Wolf. And eventually when the Wolf did come and he called Wolf, Wolf, guess what happened? Nobody came. So I don't want to call Wolf, but I do want to uh, talk about what's urgent. So let me pause here for a minute and let me tell you why I'm calling things urgent and explain what may be so urgent at least in my opinion. We're discussing eternity. We're discussing the things that are going to happen at the end time events. Whenever I think of eternity, I have to think of the word urgent because eternity requires urgency in our thinking. We can't take this lightly. This is a deep topic. It's a long topic. Eternity lasts a long, long time. And I just want to make sure that as I look at eternity, that I'm looking at it with a proper perspective, with a proper urgency, with a proper understanding. And so today, I titled this sermon, Urgency and Understanding. We can't have urgency without understanding. We must understand why are we urgent. What are we urgent over? Eternity is a very personal thing, because it is critical that you make your decisions to base your eternity on and I base my decisions that are basing my eternity on I can't do the things, I can't make your decisions that are going to impact your eternity. And you can't impact mine. It's going to be your responsibility to handle your life so that you then are responsible for your eternity. So that really brings up three three major areas or questions in my life here um, about when we talk about eternity. Things to consider. Number one, the first thing is when does eternity begin for me? Number, the second question is, where will I spend it? Where will I spend my eternity? And then the third thing is, what do I do about it now? What am I doing now to impact my eternity and where I'm going to spend it? Last week, we discussed the strategy of the enemy and how he used distractions to um, distract from the urgency of the topic when it comes to end-time events. Clearly, Jesus understands and understood the strategy of distractions because he cut right through the distractions that the disciples were giving them when they were started to raise the questions about the temple and about the apparent permanence of the temple structure. And Jesus understood them prophetically that, yes, there are some things that are important temporarily, but there are some things that are more urgent and more important eternally. So he cut through the temporary issues to get to the area of eternal issues And that's the critical point where we need to get to today. Jesus understood that he didn't allow the temporary distractions to impact his discussion. Rather, he allowed the crisis points of the temporary to give him a a launching pad to talk about the eternal. And that's what we need to look at as well. We need to look at the things in our life that may be out of whack or out of skew or out of control... Rather than getting so excited and upset about those things and saying, how am I going to get through these temporary issues? Maybe I need to allow those temporary issues to be a launching pad, this crisis that would come to be a launching pad for things of eternity. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Let me ask a question when it comes to end-time studies. Because I know this is always a hot topic. causes concerns with people. Let me just ask this question. Why would Jesus... Let his disciples remain in a state of urgency about the end times if he knew that he was not going to return in their lifetime. Now, I know Jesus says later that no man knows the day or the hour, only the Father in heaven, and I get that. But I, you got to know that when Jesus is talking to, this, to his disciples in the, on the Temple Mount here, and talking about the, the temporary nature of the of the temple and how it's going to be torn down in three days and then they say, well, when are the times? When when is that going to happen and what are the signs of that going to happen? Jesus knew that he didn't have to create a sense of urgency for their benefit because the second coming of Christ, the rapture of the church, he knew that it wasn't going to happen in the disciple's lifetime. But yet, he let them remain in a state of urgency. He gave them a sense of anticipation because the early church believed that Jesus could come back right then. They didn't realize it was going to be 2,000 years later plus. They just knew, Jesus just knew that he had to give his disciples a sense of urgency. Now, when I consider that, I have to wonder how much more of a sense of urgency should I have today, 2,000 years later. This is not a time when our urgent matter should get less. We should not diminish the urgency of the hour. Rather, we should increase the urgency of the hour because truly we're that many days closer to the end. And I say that with encouragement. I say that because it's an exciting place to be. Yet the enemy will use this as an opportunity to not make this a popular topic. Not many churches probably today are talking about this. There's not many churches probably in this town or maybe other towns or other areas that are really talking about the end times, not in a way of doomsday, but in a way of encouragement. The enemy will take the issues of this world and will make them more urgent than the issues of eternity. Why do I say that? well because in 2nd Timothy Paul told his spiritual son Timothy he basically told him the same thing let's open your open your bible and read it with me 2nd Timothy chapter 4 starting at verse 1 in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing here Paul is getting a sense of urgency in the life of Timothy Timothy, in view of the Lord's appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, Timothy. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Then I want to stop because verse 3 says some things that I think are very pertinent in our life today. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine." Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itchy ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, but you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of the evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. So here, Paul is telling Timothy, Paul, Timothy, there's going to be a lot of people in the times that to come, really, he's talking about today, that people are not going to want to hear the message. They're not going to want to hear the urgency of the hour. Rather, they would rather hear someone tell them a self help message. How I can make my life better in this life, how I can improve my marriage, how can I improve my family relationships? How can I make more money? How can I be more successful in a job? And those are all good things. Nothing wrong with those things, but those are the in many ways the distractions of the world to keep us from having an eternal mindset. Because we get our minds so wrapped up and so so enthralled with the temporary that we forget that there's more to it. I don't want to be that preacher. I don't want to be that teacher. I don't want this to be that church. I want this church to be a church that is ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And I want us all to be ready and willing and looking for that time. Not to mean that the things of this world aren't important and not to mean that your job's unimportant. It is important. and Your life today and tomorrow is all important. But it can't take precedence over the future. So that's what we want to talk about. So with, with that in mind, and then the three questions I asked earlier, I want to jump back into the text that we began last week in Matthew chapter 24. You might want to get your Bibles out and open your Bible. We're not going to read all 51 verses again. We did that last week. But I do want to take the time now to uh, break it down a little bit more. Last week we, we stopped in, in the area where we were trying to understand why, why Jesus left us with so many questions. Why such a mystery around the end time. Well, he did give us enough information for us to know that for, for one thing, he is coming back. No question about it, Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. And he's coming back for those that are looking for him. And he's given us enough information to know that that's a real uh, event that's in the future, and also that we can discern the times and that we can know the seasons. So I want to continue to talk about that today. There's so much in Scripture that talks about God's plan. In fact, let's fast forward for a minute to Revelations chapter one. OK? Hold your finger in, Revela- in Matthew chapter 4: uh, 24. But if you go down to the last book of the Bible, beginning in the first two verses of Revelation, this is how it starts out. It says, "The revelation from Jesus Christ." Now what's a revelation? A revelation is a revealing. Some information is going to be given to you, the revealing of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now let me just explain this for a minute. When Jesus was walking this earth, when he said things like, no man know the day of the hour, not even me, only the Father in heaven, Only God knows the final events and the the, the time frame of that. Jesus was absolutely correct. He was absolutely right in that because as a man, Jesus did not know. He was a man and he did not know what was in God's mind at that point in time because he was a man. Now fast forward to his death resurrection, his ascension to heaven, and now Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father where he is today. And this is where Revelation 1 picks, picks in picks up because it says the revelation from jesus christ which god gave who is him jesus to show his servants what soon must take place so when god when jesus goes to heaven god is downloading now i mean jesus and god are together now and jesus knows exactly what the father knows so right now jesus does know the events of the last time and now jesus said he's going to make it known to john his servant through an angel So here we have God giving Jesus information, Jesus giving an angel information, and an angel giving John information about the things that are going to take place. So we can have information. This is not, the return of Jesus Christ is not a true mystery anymore. Do I know the day of the hour? I do not know that. But I do know He's coming back. And I do know that he's given us a season and he is t- telling us when to start looking for him. And I also know that he's, lo- he's coming for those that are looking. To the world, this will be a total surprise and it will total be, uh, they, it will be uh, uh, just a shocking event that they won't have any idea what happens. But to the Christian, to you and I this morning that are looking, we can have a sense of peace, a sense of, of, of assurance that truly we are living in the days that it could happen. And that's what I want to create that urgency for. That's the purpose of what this message is, is to create a sense of urgency and at the same time create a sense of peace. So let's just take a minute and let's just pray. Father, I just come in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just ask you to open up our hearts and our minds that we would be able to see what you're revealing to us today. Lord, we're not trying to create a panic We're not trying to create a scare. We're not trying to put fear in the hearts of people. Rather, we're trying to put in a sense of anticipation and a sense of urgency because of the promise of your soon return. And so, Father, we just ask you to just show us now what you would have us to know in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, back to Matthew chapter 24, starting at verse 3. It says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, as we mentioned last week, that disciples, the disciples asked at least two, maybe three questions here, and Jesus cut to the chase. He did not let the temporary question of, about the actual destruction of the temple take his priority, but re- he went really to the end of the age, and that's where we're at today. And we're going to see that Matthew 24, that the, what Jesus was talking about over this, discord, this next number of verses was really over a broad expanse of time. He was talking about uh, pre-trapture, pre-tribulation um, situations. He's talking about tribulation situations, and he's talking about what happens at the end of the tribulation. All of this in this one chapter, and we're going to try to break it down this way. So let's, first of all, we have to recognize that um, the second coming of Christ is going to come in two stages. Two separate events are going to represent the second coming of Christ. The first stage of Christ's return is when Christ comes in the clouds to rapture or take away the church of true believers prior to the great tribulation. The church is not going to have to go through the great tribulation. Now some will say mid-tribulation, some will say pre-tribulation. I tend to believe it'll be pre-tribulation but if those want to believe mid-trib, that's fine. I'm not here to argue any of that. That's not my point. But my point is that Christ is going to rescue and the church will, be, will escape the great tribulation that is coming because the tribulation that's coming is not for the church, it's for the Jews. It's to, it's to bring the Jews back to reality of who they are and to call them back. And also it's God's wrath on those that have rejected God. So this first coming of Christ will be a sudden return without any apparent warning for those that aren't watching it's truly for those professing Christians the ones that are truly followers of Jesus Christ they will see Christ in the clouds but the world will not see him this first return will be a blink in the eye and there will be no fanfare given to the world it'll just be all of a sudden there will be uh, piles of clothes where the true believers were and there will be cars and airplanes and trains and boats without pilots all of a sudden. And it's just going to be a moment of distress because when Jesus returns to take away the true church, those that are truly Christians and followers will be raptured, taken away in their spirit and their bodies will be transformed into uh, spiritual bodies, heavenly bodies instantly. And they will just be, they'll, their clothes will just fall in a pile and they will be raptured along with the dead in Christ that have gone before him. Graves will open up and those dead in Christ will rise as well, and there will be a great taking away. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You might want to open your Bible, mark it in your Bible, take notes. I think I handed out, or Michael handed out some sheets, so hopefully you have all those those scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed second or i'm sorry first thessalonians chapter 4 at verse 16 and 17 says for the lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of god and the dead in christ will rise first after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the air or to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forevermore. It's another passage describing Jesus' return, the rapture. And then Matthew 24:36 through 42. But about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with the handmill, One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know what day your Lord will come. Now again, I have to go back and and think about what Jesus was saying here. What was he doing? He's telling this to his disciples, who were not going to have to experience this. You know, you would have thought Jesus would have said, guys, listen, I'm going to tell you what's going on down the road, but you know what? You guys don't have to worry about this, because it's not going to happen in your time frame, so you guys just don't, you guys can chill. Don't worry about it. But he didn't do that. He left these men with a sense of urgency. He left these men thinking, wow, I mean that could happen right now? They expected it. The early church expected Christ to come back at any time. So if they expected it, how much more should we expect it? How much more should we be on the watch? Not fearful. This is not a fear. This is an encouraging message. Because our redemption is nigh. It's getting closer. And if I'm a follower, if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, if I am living my life today to please Christ with all my heart, this is an encouraging word to me. This is not scary at all. This is exciting. I can't wait for that day. When we, the true church, all of a sudden we hear a blast in the sky and all of a sudden we're gone. We're gone. It's going to happen. We'll talk more about this in a minute. The second stage of Christ's return happens at the end of the Great Tribulation when Christ actually physically returns to earth and all the earth sees Him. Remember, the first coming, the world, the unbelievers didn't see Him. They didn't hear Him. They they knew nothing other than the fact that people are gone. That's it. That's all they're going to know. And you've got to imagine it's going to cause a little bit of a stir. The second stage, the second coming happens at the end of the tribulation. Matthew chapter 25, verse 27. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Talking about the end of the tribulation. Matthew 24, 29, and 30. Immedi- immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the Son of Man of heaven, the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth, all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Man, Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So that second coming, after the tribulation period, the whole world will see him, and Jesus is coming back for a different purpose. He's not coming back to take the church away. He's coming back to bring the church back to earth, and he's going to come back as a warrior king. We'll talk about that in a few minutes as well. So I just want to take the time now and break this down a little bit more. I have a timeline. Larry, if you go to the next slide, I think. I want to just explain a little bit here what we're, t- what we're going to talk about in the future, okay? What we're going to talk about. This is the timeline of time, all right? This is the Gentile age or the church age. This is the age we're living right now. We're right in here, okay, at this point. Um, when the rapture happens, okay, the church is raptured. This is a pre-tribulation rapture slide, okay, just so we know that. Um, the rapture happens and there's things happening in heaven which all those that are raptured are experiencing great things in heaven. But back down here on earth, this is the beginning of the seven-year tri- seven tribulation period. The first three and a half years um, are, they call it the great revival here, the first three and a half years are relatively peaceful compared to what's going to happen in the second three and a half years when you get into the Great Tribulation. There's multiple things that we can talk about. We're not, we don't have time to talk about this all today. In fact, I think a few last year, I think we went through Wednesday nights. We went through a long study on the, um, what's going to happen in the seven years here, and uh, it's really interesting. But uh, the point is, when the rapture happens, there will be a peace accord signed with Israel, and that will be the marking of the seven-year period of time. Israel will at peace with everyone Um, the world, the Antichrist will sign a peace agreement with Israel. And then in the middle of the the tribulation, the three and a half years is the abomination of desolation, and we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. This is when it begins to get really, really bad because the last half is the great tribulation, and this is where there will be calamities and things that you won't even begin to believe. I mean, this is where it's just, uh, we'll maybe talk about that if we have time today. And then this is the second coming of Christ, This is when he comes down and then he establishes himself on earth. He goes to battle with the Antichrist, the battle of Armageddon, and then this is where the the millennial reign begins for a thousand years and then it goes into a thousand years. That's a whole other discussion after that and then basically eternity. So I just want to give you just a quick snapshot of that, okay? So now let's go back to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, the first verses 4 through 14... are are describing the general signs and a summary of the key events leading up to the rapture. In fact, Larry, go back to that timeline again, okay? So Matthew um, 4 through 14, we're talking about events in here, okay? And then Jesus goes in in verses 15 through 28, and then he's going to talk about what's happening in the middle of the tribulation, all right? Then he's going to talk about what's happening in the tribulation period, um, and what are going to take place then. And then in Matthew 24, 29-31, he describes what's going to happen at the end of the tribulation period when Christ will return to defeat uh, the Antichrist. So then we're going to be talking about the signs that are going to be happening at this point in time. And then Matthew 24, 32-35 talks more about the signs of the end times that are coming. And it's interesting when we get to that point that we're going to see that he's actually describing more signs that people can can see happening because they know at that point in time, they know that his second return is coming at a particular time. Right now, in the pre-trib rapture or the the first stage of the rapture, we really don't know the time of the hour. We can have seasons, but we don't know exactly when it's going to happen. So it's kind of a surprise to us. But the second coming will not be a surprise because we have days given. We have time frames given. So when we get down to this point right here, these people know there's three and a half years left. Three and a half years left before this is going to happen, and that's given in those signs, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. And then finally, Matthew 24, 36 through 51 takes us back to the pre-rapture time when Christ has given us a challenge of how are we living today? What are we doing today to get ready to be faithful followers of the Lord that we will be caught up in that first rapture? So... With that kind of a setting, let's go back into Matthew chapter 24, starting at verse 4, okay? Remember, this is describing the times of today. It says, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. "'Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. "'There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. "'All these are the beginning of birth pains. "'Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, "'and you will be hated by all nations because of me. "'At that time, many will turn away from the faith "'and will betray and hate each other. "'And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. "'Because of the increase of wickedness, "'the love of most will grow cold.' But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. All right. We don't have to have too much of an imagination to see that this is the condition of the world as it is right now. I mean, nations are rising against nations. Wars, rumors of wars constantly in the news there's worldwide calamities earthquakes all over the place happening there's extensive famines there's unprecedented um, disasters natural disasters that are happening in this world I mean God is giving us signs he's saying guys wake up wake up the signs are very clear around you today that this is unprecedented in the history of mankind something is on the horizon something big is coming now, what's dangerous for us for, you know, up in Charlevoix here, we are in a little haven up here. We're so protected from the, from the things of the world. We get up here and we look out on Lake Michigan and Lake Charlevoix and Round Lake and we just see beauty. We don't have natural disasters up here. We don't have hurricanes. We don't have earthquakes. We're not having floods. So for us, we get sleepy. We're thinking, man, life is good and I can just plan my retirement and live on and just think it's going to be great here. But we have to recognize people This is not the way it is all around the world right now. There's great persecution happening in other parts of the world. These signs are very much alive and very much given throughout the world. Just because we don't see them in our life and are impacting me personally, it doesn't mean they're not happening. It's happening all over the world. We need to be ready for this. Then Then looking at verse 12, this is the one that makes me, this is the verse that makes me the saddest of all. But the increase of wickedness because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will do what? Yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean to you to have your love grow cold? If you were in a marriage relationship, what's it like when the love of your marriage partner grows cold? It's not good, is it? And that's exactly what Christ is saying right here. Because of the increase of wickedness, The love of most will grow cold. Now it's interesting here that looking at the word quant the quantities that he's using, because earlier in that passage, he says, many will be persecuted, and many false prophets. Many is less than most. Many was probably less than half. But now he's changing the vernacular. He's changing the quantity to say the number of most people the love of most people will fall away. Most is probably more than half. I'm concerned over that. I'm concerned that many people in churches today, most of the people in churches today, their love is growing cold. They're not heated anymore. They're not passionate anymore. The love of Christ is growing cold in our life because we're comfortable We're not being persecuted or evil is increasing around us and so we are just comfortable in our own misery. It's a sad, sad, sad situation. Where are you this morning? Where's your love this morning? Now I'm really thankful for verse 13. It says, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So there's hope here again notice how the quantity changes again we go from many to most and now we're back to one why is that important because your eternal fate is dependent upon you and you alone not it's not dependent on the many it's not dependent on the most it's dependent upon one me you And this gives us the greatest sense of urgency and understanding that we must understand. That even though Jesus is coming back for the church, remember what the church is made up of. The church is made up of individuals. The church is made up of one people, one people, one people, one person, that person, this person, that person. And as these people have their heart right with the Lord, they then make the corporate church that Jesus is coming back for. That's the hope that we have. And then verse 14, and then this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It comes after all the gospel has been preached. Now that does not mean that all the people are going to be saved. It just means that everybody has been heard, every, everyone has heard the gospel, or every nation has had opportunity to hear the gospel. And then the end will come. I have so much more to say. And I don't have time to say it. So rather than try to rush through things, we're going to stop here. And we'll come back, we'll pick up next week. We we have most of the chapter yet to go through because we're really, this is an important study to go through the end times so that we can understand what's really happening around us. This is not a time to be ignorant. This is not a time to say, um, it's urgent for you, Mike, but not urgent for me. Because this is a sense of urgency that we must have. And it's a good sense of urgency. It's not bad. Jackie, would you come? It's not a bad sense of urgency. It is a time where we can um, encourage each other. It's a time when we can build each other up. It's a time when, you know, you may be going through a really hard time right now, and I can come alongside you and say, hey, guess, guess what? This isn't going to last forever. And maybe we understand why some of these things are happening, because the enemy truly is ramping up. He truly is angry. He knows his time is short. He knows he doesn't want men to gain and continue to uh, have a sense of urgency and understanding about the end times. He wants people to be blinded, and that's what he's doing very well in our success, in our wealth, in our living normal lives. It's so easy to get distracted. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we are just coming to you, and God, we just truly want to be alive spiritually, alive mentally, alive emotionally. We don't want to be dulled, and we don't want to be distracted by the temporary things of this world that may seem so inviting right now and maybe seem so permanent right now. Like the disciples looked at the temple and said, look at this beautiful building. Look how strong it is. Look how permanent it is. And Jesus said, guys, in just a matter of days, it's going to be torn down not one stone upon another. So God, that is what our life is about. Help us, Father. Direct our lives. Focus, us, focus in us in on the eternal. Let us not be distracted by the temporary. Thank you, Jesus. So this morning, as you're here this morning and using this time as an evaluation, where are you this morning? I, I constantly have to ask... I don't know where you're at. I'm assuming you're all all loving Jesus and hearts are right with the Lord. But, you know, this is an opportunity that you just must ask yourselves the questions. Am I one of the few? Or am I one of the most? Which camp am I in? Let's sing the song that Jackie's playing and let's let the Lord just work with us a little bit as we sing the song. and We appreciate what's happening.
0: Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Sweet.
1: Father, we just thank you for this call. We thank you for this this message of hope. Lord, this time is short, but Lord, it's great. It's a great time to be alive. It's a great time to be in your kingdom today. And I pray, Lord, as we go to our homes, that we would just celebrate this time. Lord, I pray that this would be a reminder for us. Lord, that we would get our hearts right with you and maintain a right heart with you. Lord, that we would be pleased to be joining with you in relationship because, Father, the reality is our eternity starts today. Our eternity, we're already living in our eternity. We just want to live it out, Father, fully, totally in line with your word, totally in line with holiness, righteousness, and pleasing you. I praise your name, and I give you glory, and I stand with you, and I stand for you, in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'd be blessed today. If you need to pray where I'm at the altar.